What's up, everybody? I'm Sarah. I'm Sam. And I'm Bobby. And this is Speaking of Murders. everybody to another and unfortunately the last episode of speaking of murders uh you heard me right there's no more after this this is the final episode unfortunately keeping up with this podcast and our other podcasts just isn't working so enjoy this episode and make sure you go check out our other shows speaking of missing persons and unsolved mayhem um so we're going to hop right in. Sarah's telling our story today. Sarah, what's our send-off episode? What what are we doing here? Is it a mass murder? A it's a something? What? It's a manipulation murder. Oh, is this? Okay. Kind of like, uh, oh shit, I forgot. Manipulation? Like they talk them into killing themselves? Uh, no. Like a Charles Manson situation? <laughs> no. Like it's it's a woman that talked someone into killing someone else. Okay. Uh, for her. Gotcha. Okay. Uh I'm gonna guess she talks her boyfriend into killing her husband. You are correct. Oh wow. A tale as old as time. <laughs> First shot. Nailed it. It's not all that uncommon i don't feel like it's not but this one is weird so let's talk about it first i'm gonna tell you about the boyfriend his name was jerry cassidy he was in his mid-30s and had spent nine years of his life as a sheriff's deputy in cass county missouri Mm -hmm. okay by 1994, Jerry no longer liked his job and resigned. It was kind of his life started to spiral out of control. His marriage ended. He started using drugs and alcohol. He probably just had PTSD because, I mean, people kept shooting the sheriff, but they never shot him, the deputy. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. That was a good one. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> it was not easy for Jerry to dig his way back out of this hole he had created and to get his life back on track. It actually would take him until 1998 when he got a job at Harrah's North Kansas City Casino and Hotel. He was working there as a security guard. Wait a minute. You quit a job in law enforcement... To become a security guard at a casino. Apparently. That's, okay. This guy's bright. (laughs) Yeah, you're going to leave crazy to deal with crazy. And maybe he just got tired of driving around to deal with crazy shit. I don't know. Well, a year later, he moved to uh, Reno, Nevada to work at a Harrah's Casino and Hotel there. 
So maybe he just wanted to travel. Maybe. Across the country, in Flint, Michigan, lived a woman named Cherie Miller. She had a rough life growing up, living in rundown trailer parks with a stepfather that sexually and physically abused her until the age of 14. By 17, she had left home and gotten married to her first husband. You know what? Good for her for getting out. Well, let's not praise her too much yet, Bobby. No, I understand <laughs> she's a bag of dicks, but <laughs> at least... She got away from her original situation. Uh, right. Yeah. It's improved. Her first husband tried to help her with her mental blocks that she was having in their marriage. And I'm assuming that means, like, sexually. And he convinced her to tell her mom what had happened in her childhood. I would guess trust issues would yeah. be the biggest problem there. Despite having a child together, the couple could not make their marriage work and they got a divorce. She would be married one more time and have two other children before she met a man named Bruce Miller. She was 27 when she met Bruce. All right. They met when she got a job as a bookkeeper at his salvage yard called B&D Auto Parts in 1999. He was 20 years older than her. Okay. Um, I mean, I think that kind of speaks for itself. There's, there's daddy issues going on right. with this woman. He had also been divorced a few times, and their romance was described as a whirlwind. Within five minutes, five minutes, five months of dating, they got married. No, you had it right. Five minutes. Hi, can I have this pack of... No, how about an engagement ring? Let's go down to the courthouse right now. It probably was just like that. It's two doors down. And there's people out there. That get married within the first week of I knowing mean, each other. I did it. Like, not the first week, but <laughs> just like two months. Yeah. Dang. Didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, my mouth is agape with surprise. <laughs> hey, my mom was like, he's so great. You And, you know, I had horrible choices in men until that time. So I was like, you know, maybe I'll trust her. Didn't work out. So, Bruce gave Cherie the life she had never had before. They didn't live in a mansion, but it was the nicest home she had ever lived in. She no longer had to work full-time to support her children, so she started selling Mary Kay to have extra money. Trying to get that Cadillac. Bruce backed her up fully, even bought her a computer to help her grow her clientele. But... What Bruce did not know is that even before he married her, she was talking online to another man, Jerry. Okay. After she married Bruce, Cherie started making trips to Reno to visit Jerry, telling her husband she was going for conventions to like help grow her business in Mary Kay. And she was helping something grow. <laughs> when the couple met, it was in an adult chat room where she was going by the name I Want to Be Laid. So creative. 
I, I mean, know. that's pretty accurate for the early 2000s. Yeah. I love the innuendo. It's <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> that's a standard adult chat room username. Yeah, straight <laughs> to the point. ASO? <laughs> and even with uh, the great distance between the two, their romance also moved rapidly. So she's all about the... Let's How quickly can we get this thing going? Right. They were talking about their future together, and that included marriage and kids. And by September 1999, just two months after they had, like, started their fling, she told Jerry that she was pregnant with his baby. Jerry was excited and could not wait to start his family with her. The only thing standing in his way was her husband, Bruce. So he was aware of Bruce from the beginning? Yes, he knew about Bruce. Oh, boy. Jerry flew to Michigan to see Cherie, but she, like, she wanted him not to do that. Like, it was like a, he wouldn't listen to her when she was like, no, 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 don't come here kind of a deal. Well, yeah, because that's right. going to be a bit difficult. Not so easy to get away from husband in her hometown. Exactly. On September 23rd, 1999, Cherie contacted Jerry through AOL instant messages to paint a picture about her husband that was all lies. She started to tell her boyfriend, sorry, she started with telling her boyfriend she had a miscarriage. Jerry believed that Bruce had hit her and caused her to lose the baby because Cherie had told him, like, her message just said, Bruce hits. That's it? Yeah. But then she changed her story to... She was going to type it out the rest of the way, it from the back, and then <laughs> said, nah, it doesn't sound right. I'm just going to delete this. Well, I mean, you're not far off, because he... She changed her story to Bruce raped her, and the force caused her miscarriage. So Bruce has uh, a pretty intense downstairs thing going on. <laughs> I was going to say. Okay. He mm. had sex. She called it spearfishing. It was a whole thing. Mm, pretty much. This was too much for Jerry to handle. <laughs> spearfishing. <laughs> <laughs> he begged her to leave Bruce and come live with him. Her response was that Bruce would never let it happen. This is when she told Jerry that Bruce was a powerful person in the world of organized crime. She said he was involved in drug trafficking and money laundering. She repeated that Bruce was capable of being a very violent man. And apparently capable of putting that, capable of putting that thing down. Now, a month later, she again tells Jerry she is pregnant by him. This time... Wait, we didn't have sex in that month. Well, it's your baby. I just... Man, I, I stored it. <laughs> I, was I gonna stored say, the sperm. How were they meeting? They were meeting... She was going there pretty regularly. Bruce had to realize that Mary Kay doesn't have that many fucking conventions. I don't think he did. I think it was he was proud of her for networking and trying to grow her business. So he was just being supportive. This time, she tells Jerry she's pregnant with twins. 
How are you gonna know that already? How are you gonna know that? It feels like twins. Don't know. She even sends him a sonogram picture online and pictures of her belly growing. Oh, Again. she she found that shit on Yahoo. <laughs> Ask Jeeves. Yeah. Or Ask Jeeves pictures <laughs> of I don't twins, know. Ultrasound. Maybe she's already been pregnant three times. She can just use photos and but sh- did shit she ever did she ever have twins? No. Well, but she's telling him that she has twins. How does he know the difference between? Yeah, I'm sure he's not even understanding what the hell he's looking at you on see the sonogram picture. Exactly. That's, that's the head of the one twin, and that I know it looks like a butt. It's actually the head of the other twin. Those are arms. <laughs> well, again, Jerry was over the moon excited. But just a few days later, his world came crashing down again when on November 5th, he received an email from Bruce's email account that read, Cherie is growing fat with two bastards in her. She has decided she doesn't like the excess weight and is going to get an abortion. Freaking out, he desperately tried to reach Cherie, but she would not respond until the next day. She sent Jerry an email that read, This is Cherie. I'm going away for a few days. I will contact you next week sometime. And all he could do is sit and wait. Then he got another email from Bruce's account the next day. Well, Jerry, she told me to let you know she would be home soon. I think the abortion went fine. She sounded like she felt better knowing she wasn't having any more kids. Thank you for making my relationship with my wife better. Why would a husband send that to his wife's boyfriend? An hour later, Jerry received pictures from Cherie. She looked beaten up. In a few articles that I read, she told him that Bruce let his men rape her this time to cause her to miscarry the twins. You know, since he works for the mob. Right. Okay. This is when Jerry decided Bruce had to die. And Cherie helped him plan the murder. In the early morning hours of November 8th, the former sheriff's deputy and his girlfriend used instant messenger messaging to discuss how and when to kill Bruce. So this was a big deal in the news because this was like one of the first cases where everything was online and like messenger and all these things and they made it seem like they only talk to each other this way but i listened to interviews that she actually gave and she said no we talked on the phone all the time we just used the online thing because it was easy but they still had phone conversations a few hours later, Jerry got into his car in Odessa, Missouri, because by this point, he had moved back to Missouri. I don't know if he lost his job at the casino because of all this mess or what, but by this point, he was back in Missouri. He drove 11 hours to the salvage yard that Bruce owned in Flint, Michigan. Cherie had given him not only the address, but also told him which roads to avoid so that he wouldn't encounter police in town. Jerry arrived at 6.30 p.m. and found Bruce still in his office, 
He was on the phone with Cherie. She had ordered a pizza for dinner and asked him to pick it up on his way home. Even though she knew he was about to be killed. She's trying to, you know, keep that paper trail. Right. When Bruce hung up the phone, Jerry entered the office armed with a twenty-two caliber shotgun. Bruce stood up and Jerry shot him. 20 caliber. 20. Did I say 22? 20 mm-hmm. caliber shotgun. Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think that's a thing. No, it was 20. I don't know why my brain said 22. So Bruce stood up and Jerry shot him in the neck, instantly killing him. Yikes. Jerry then emptied Bruce's pockets, taking his wallet so that it looks like a robbery. He then left the building and drove all the 11 hours back to Odessa, Missouri. Ain't you going to stop and see your old lady while you're in town? Nope. Uh, Who's picking know. up the pizza? <laughs> well, see, because at the time, <laughs> Cherie was at her and Bruce's house with a friend, so she would have an alibi, so they couldn't see each other. Okay. She needed that alibi. Okay. The question stands. Who's getting the pizza? No one. No one's getting the pizza. Damn, damn, damn. Perfectly good pizza. Well, Jerry and Cherie's relationship changed drastically after he murdered Bruce. She stopped, I would say so. She stopped responding to his messages. She told him their relationship was over just two weeks after he killed Bruce. Yeah, that's not surprising. Nope. And she moved on with another man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you gotta right. have your one boyfriend kill your husband so you can finally run off with your other boyfriend. You know? The real love of your life that you just met last week. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's go back to the night Bruce was killed, though. When he didn't come home, which Cherie knew he wasn't going to come home, but, you know, she had to play the part, so she called his brother... To see if maybe he stopped there on his way home to, like, talk to him. And she was, like, so, you know, worried. So his brother and his brother's wife drove to the shop to check on him. So his brother is the one who found him. Did she not have a car or something to go check on him? She couldn't leave the kids. Oh, okay. So they found Bruce on the floor of his office with a gunshot wound. They called police who believed at first it was a robbery gone wrong. Right. Because whoever did this had taken Bruce's wallet, which usually had large amounts of cash inside. And people knew that, that he carried a pretty decent amount of cash. Authorities believed it could have been an ex-employee of Bruce's named John Hutchinson because he had a criminal record and also owed Bruce several thousand dollars. Damn. It did not help John that he did not have an alibi for that night. So to them, at first, it was like an open and shut case. And this dude almost went to prison for killing Bruce when he did not do it. But even though they had this prime suspect, they just felt like something wasn't right about Cherie. They were like, "Mm, you're being kind of weird, homie. She, like, demonstrated shock and grief when they told her about her husband. But just two days later, she was, like, you know, 
spotted at a dance club simulating that she was having sex on a bar just like at a place 18 miles outside of Flint. So they were like, mm, not really uh, grieving that much for your husband there. So yeah, going to keep an eye on you. No, grief is a funny thing. <laughs> Everybody experiences grief differently. Yep. I mean, they do. And if she wants to go hoe it up at a bar. Yeah. Maybe that's how she grieves. Maybe. She just drowns herself in dick. Yeah. I mean. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think she was grieving. I don't think she was grieving either. But I'm I'm just saying, some people might drown in dick when they grieve. I don't know. Even with all these things, the police investigation was slow. They had these theories, but no concrete evidence. Then things took a turn for police. When on February 11th, 2000, Jerry took a seat in his recliner that overlooked a small lake that bordered his apartment. He opened his Bible, laid it in his lap, and shot himself in the mouth. Oh, Took his own life. Oh, shit. Yeah. The police in Michigan would not have cared about a suicide in Missouri except Jerry left a suicide note to his parents and told his brother if something ever happened to him to check a briefcase under his bed. In the suicide note he wrote, I was so blind and stupid and so much in love. She just wanted all her money and no more husband. I know it was all just more lies and games from Cherie. She didn't care what it took or who she hurt to get what she wanted. Another note was found by his brother in the briefcase. It instructed him to take the briefcase to a lawyer named John P. O'Connor. When O'Connor opened the briefcase, he found transcripts of every online correspondence between Cherie and Jerry. Damn. The man came with receipts. Yeah, he did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This was detailed information about their relationship, their conversation about murdering Bruce. And when this was turned over to the police in Michigan, they found even more evidence on Jerry's hard drive. It was clear to them that Cherie had helped plot her husband's death. So she was arrested on February 22nd, 2000 and charged with conspiracy to commit murder and murder in the first degree. She denied having anything to do with the murder, and her trial began December 13th of 2000. The prosecution, like, focused on the way Cherie had manipulated Jerry to murder her husband, like, you know, lying about being pregnant. And making him believe that she was married to a dangerous, abusive man. Uh, But in reality, Cherie had a tubal ligation after her third child was born. Oh. This had taken place way before she had ever even met Bruce, let alone Jerry. Oh, shit. And if Jerry would have looked closely at the sonogram photos she sent him... It was dated 1994, so it was from her previous pregnancy. 
the defense argued that the police had it right the first time when they thought John Hutchinson murdered Bruce. They told the jury that the jury, Jerry, they told <laughs> the jury that Cherie's lies were aimed at scaring Jerry off, not to get him to murder her husband. Like she was telling him he was this scary, abusive rapist to try to get him to, you know, leave her alone. No. No. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no. After two days of deliberation, on December 23, 2000, the jury found Cherie Miller guilty of the conspiracy charge and second-degree murder. She was sentenced to life in prison. And you would think this is where her story would end. But in 2007, she was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder as well as other mental illnesses from her childhood. And so her conviction was overturned in August 2008. But. And it was ordered that she be given a new trial. The reason was because a judge on the Supreme Court ruled that Jerry's suicide note should never have been admitted into court and seen by jurors because he wasn't there to be cross-examined. This same federal judge ordered for Cherie to be released on July 16, 2009 on bond pending a new trial. Like, he demanded she be released. Because at first, they, like, her case was, was overturned. Was instant messaging him? <laughs> Supreme Court <laughs> judge. Who knows? <laughs> it's possible. Maybe he, maybe she told him she was pregnant. <laughs> maybe she did. Maybe she sent him that sonogram from 1994. She's like, hey, I'm like an elephant. Hey, I'm about you know? to have your baby. And he's like, ma'am, we've literally never slept together. <laughs> oh, yeah, we did. You just forgot. And I'm pregnant now in 1994 <laughs> times, but now. Yeah. It's a thing. Oh, jeez. It's science. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh the prosecution ordered that Cherie be arrested again immediately upon her release without bond on the same charges no fucking way she's definitely a flight risk yeah so yeah. they literally walked her out and then walked her back in they like rearrested her yeah the second she was released her new trial was set for October 2009, but her lawyers appealed this and her trial was put on hold. Cherie was released from jail on July 29th, 2009 on a $100,000 bond because the judge ordered it. Oh, shit. Cool. After... Hold on, because you're bouncing around inside of 2009. Okay, so July 16. 16th... She was ordered to be released. Right. And then July 29th, she is released. Well, she was technically released on the 16th. They immediately rearrested her on the 16th. Then let her bail out on the 29th. On the 29th, because the judge was like, no, I said, release her on bond. And you guys just rearrested her as soon as you released her. 
So this judge ordered that she be let out on bond. And then she had a court date set for October of 2009. Her lawyers appealed it and got it put on hold. Oh, okay. All right. I'm following now. So we went to July to October and then back to July. And I was like, (laughs) wait a minute. What the hell just happened? When they arrested her, re-arrested her on the 16th, they set her trial date for October. Gotcha. Okay. Now but I'm her following. lawyers were appealed it, and so by the 29th, she got released again on a $100,000 bond. How now, many boyfriends do you think it took to come up with that hundred grand? Well, I don't know. I don't think she had it. That's what I was thinking. I'm I'm guessing a minimum of four boyfriends chipped in on that. I don't know, because... She's pregnant by all of them simultaneously. <laughs> Unless Bruce just had that much money, but she wouldn't have had access to that anymore. Uh-uh. No. No, I know her children went to live with her mom, and oh, yeah. I know on her release, she went to live with a roommate, who I'm pretty sure was a guy, and who I'm pretty sure she's married to now. Oh. Uh, probably so just a just bail bondsman. Or, yeah. After a couple of years, with her case going through the court system, on December 2nd, 2012, the district court entered its opinion and ordered the reinstatement of Cherie's Sh- conviction and revoked her bond. So she was out for three years. And then a whole different... It went back to the Supreme Court. They were like, no, this is uh, not our business. And they sent it back to Flint, Michigan. And they were like, you know, well, if it's our decision, then we're going to go back to our original plan. Get her back in here. (laughs) And we're not going to do a new trial. Like, we're reinstating her conviction how it was originally. So that's what they did. I didn't even know they could do that. Yes. They can. All right. Well, I guess, yeah, because she wasn't acquitted. Right. She wasn't acquitted of the crime. She was just let out to have a new trial. Gotcha. They believed the suicide note was admissible in court because it was written to Jerry's parents right before he took his life. So to them, it was less likely to be a fabrication. Right. After three years of freedom, Cherie walked back into prison with her daughter, granddaughter, and who she said is her roommate, by her side. She said in later interviews that watching her daughter break down gave her clarity. Like, her daughter was devastated that she had to go back to prison. It was after this that she decided to write a four-page letter to the original judge in her first trial. She told him about her childhood abuse and how it made her view men. To her at the time of Bruce's murder, it was about controlling men. It wasn't about money or any of that. She had just never had any control in her life. So she wanted to see if she could control these two men and get them to do what she wanted. In the letter, she said that her childhood trauma did not affect did affect a lot of things in her life, but not her ability to know right from wrong. She admitted to her role in the murder and the fact that she had 16 and a half hours to stop it, but didn't. And quote, she says, he was a good man. 
which she's talking about Bruce. He never hurt me or my children. All he did was love us. He wanted to adopt my children. He just wanted a family. The only man who loved me for me and I had him killed. In an interview in February of 2020, she's quoted as saying, I can't think of one flaw that Bruce had. He was a good man. It was like home became too much a home. So I would go and act crazy someplace else. She said she is very sorry for what happened to both Bruce and Jerry and hopes that her telling the truth could bring some peace to their families. But you spent the first forever in jail claiming that you had nothing to do with it. Right. And denying it. I feel like she just didn't want to believe that she had anything to do with it. Like the denial was more trying to convince herself. Maybe. But currently she is serving a life sentence with no possibility of parole. And according to her, she doesn't want, she doesn't deserve to be let out. All right, then. Well, that settles that. You do have two guys, you know, deaths on your hands. Right. So that's my farewell to the murder podcast for now. All right. Well... If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you let us know. I don't know if you want to bother leaving us five stars because this is the last episode. So, like I said before, don't forget to uh, check out our other shows. And we will still be telling murder stories on our Patreon. So, if you want to hear those, make sure you get subscribed. That's linked in the show notes and the episode notes. You can go there, get more murders, and that'll be ongoing. So. Does anyone have any final thoughts? It's been real. It's been fun. It's been real fun. I'm just sad. (laughs) All right. Bye. Bye, 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 bye. Bye.